it's been said that a, a person studying the Bible, <clears throat> excuse me, or reading the Bible as well, that it's very necessary to put a, a given passage that we are in or that you are in in reading it. It's necessary to place that passage in its context. In fact, someone once said that if we don't place the passage in its context, we stand to miss uh, almost 75% of, of the truths that are in there and the things that God wants to communicate in his word. And so this morning, what we want to do as we uh, are about to launch into what is the, the benediction and salutations of the Apostle Peter's uh, first letter is remind ourselves of the context with which Peter writes these things. We addressed some of this as we uh, began our study in the book months ago. But so that they're fresh in our mind and, and we can recall, Peter being the author has been challenged by some throughout the history of Christendom. One of the challenges was that the vocabulary uh, and literary style was more advanced than that of an untrained and unlearned man. Remember when, uh, in the book of Acts, when they marveled at, at how eloquent and how powerful Peter was in his declaration of the gospel, they couldn't understand it because they were just unlearned and untrained fishermen. There's also been the challenge of his theology reflecting uh, the thoughts of Paul rather than that of an earthly uh, friend or person that had walked with Jesus for several years and in fact, as the Gospels tell us, was, was a friend of Jesus. That the theology in the book reflects more of a, a Pauline letter. <clears throat> and lastly, there is a claim that the persecutions that the Apostle Peter talks about in this first letter and in his second uh, that are described there, that it's impossible that those things would have been taking place during Peter's lifetime. But none of those challenges are conclusive. In fact, Peter was from uh, the Galilee, a northern area over in there in Israel, and if you've ever been there, you know that the, the country was divided really into three areas. It was the, the Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. And uh, Jerusalem being down in the area of Judea, uh, you may recall the story of the uh, uh, woman at the well. Jesus left Jerusalem and needed to go through Samaria. So Peter was from up here in the Galilee, and as a fisherman, he would have necessarily, in his business contact with many, have become very fluent in Arabic and Greek, 
in order to do business in that area. As far as being a great communicator, remember he spent three years with the master of communicators, Jesus himself. And if his Greek was insufficient as he dictated this letter, Silvanus, of course, could have polished it just a bit even as he was writing. Secondly, Peter not only knew of Paul, but he knew Paul. The two men both knew each other. Galatians 2, 7 through 9 uh, tells us that they were together at one point. Peter was an eyewitness to the claims and the sufferings that Christ in his letter to his intended readership, records. And rather than his letter being a a dictation of the life of Jesus, it was rather written to encourage the believers of that day of what they would be going through and what they, in fact, were going through. And finally as far as those persecutions taking place in Peter's lifetime, uh, we place Peter in Rome around uh, 64 to 68 AD, more than likely dying around 67 AD, the letter written somewhere around 64 while he was there in Rome, And we know that during that time in Peter's life, the emperor of Rome was a man by the name of Nero. Nero was uh, the one who had a horrible legacy. The temple in Jerusalem was demolished in 70 AD. Jews were dispersed all over uh, what we now call Asia Minor, And some of the persecutions that the Christians received uh, began with Nero's reign and were escalated in the reign of Domitian in 95 AD, uh, Trajan in 112 AD. But back to Nero, his legacy was a horrible one. He took the throne at age 16. And though his Uh, rule and his reign began as kind of mild and uh, filled with idealism about the Roman Empire. It soon became one of cruelty and tyranny. He began murdering anyone that he suspected would be an obstacle to him. His victims included his own wife, his mother, his stepbrother, Britannicus, who was Emperor Claudius's biological son. In July of AD 64, the great fire that took place in Rome lasted six days. And of the 14 districts throughout Rome, only three escaped from being decimated in that fire. Some historians have brought to the forefront that it's possible Nero may have started that fire, though unconclusive. What is conclusive is to deflect the 
attention brought upon him as it relates to the fire, he chose to begin to blame Christians for the fire and put all his energies toward their destruction. The historian Tacitus describes some of these atrocities that they would, uh, he would order that Christians would be covered with the skins of animals and then wild dogs would be released in order to eat them and tear them apart. Many were nailed to a cross. Peter, we believe, was crucified upside down. They were also doomed to be burned to death. And it is, in fact, Nero's rule in which these burning Christian bodies were placed on poles and used at night to illuminate the garden of his palace. This is the context in which Peter writes and it's no wonder that as he, he begins to close this uh, passionate letter to those that he knows are, are, have either already hit the fires and, and the persecution, but certainly will, <clears throat> that he begins his benediction with the phrase, but may the God of all grace You might, we must read that verse again. Verse 10, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. There's a mouthful in that verse. And we will spend a lot of our time there this morning. First of all, let's consider Peter's statement about the God of all grace. If anyone relied upon and desired and would live by and operate by uh, in his life and in ministry, it would be Peter because of the grace that he had received from God through Christ himself. <clears throat> The Gospels tell us that it was his brother, Andrew, who brought Peter to Jesus. You remember several things, perhaps, about the young uh, disciple. He was the one that would say, Lord, call to me while the boat was on the Galilee, and I will come to you as he saw Jesus walking on the water. Just, here I am, call me. And so Jesus said, come. And he steps out of the boat and immediately begins to focus on the surroundings all around him instead of focused on the, the Christ himself. And he begins to sink. And he says, Lord, help. And Jesus reaches out his hand and saves him. One of the shortest prayers in the Bible that each one of us could do well to know. Lord, help me. When Jesus was transfigured, it was Peter who was the one who said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. 
to build a tabernacle and make an altar to the to Moses and Elijah and you and missing the uh, significance of the transfiguration. The Lord set him straight on what it was that he was there to see. It was Peter who said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. It was Peter who said, we've left everything to follow you. What, what do we have? It was Peter who said, even if the whole world denies you, I will not deny you, Lord. And yet we know the account so well that Jesus prophetically promised him, you will deny me three times, at which he did. This letter comes from a man having walked with Christ seen his own failures over the years, seen his own lack of commitment early on as a disciple. Uh, one of the things we can know about Peter is that he had a triple call. He, had, he was a friend, a disciple, and then an apostle. And, and this letter, his first letter, is written from a man who now has some 30 years of trusting, walking, seeking, teaching, about a resurrected Savior who was gracious to him. The God of all grace. No doubt he knew the reference in Micah 7, 18 and 19 that says, <clears throat> Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and he will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. What faith Micah had, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, written for not only Peter to know and believe, but for you and I this morning, do we not need his grace continually? And thankful that we are promised in the scripture every morning his mercies are brand new. Did you come this hour discouraged about Anything in your walk with the Lord and, and wondering, will I ever get to that point where I'm just constantly pleasing him? Well, think of Peter. <laughs> and how much he knew the grace of God. But Peter goes on to tell them, his readership, about their calling. He wanted them to know that their calling was into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. In other words, the reason that they are who they are in the eyes of God was all because of Jesus. And that if they needed to uh, have an earmark to look for, if they needed to have a reference point, if, if ever out in the you know, turbulent seas of walking within the Roman Empire and Asia Minor as a Christian 
needing a, uh, a navigating key, he's saying, remember Christ Jesus. You are who you are because you were called by Almighty God and that calling was brought to you to his eternal glory by one and one only, the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. And look what he did, Peter is saying. He's reminding every reader to look again at Jesus' life which inevitably ended in death, painful death, burial, but glorious resurrection. And God has called us into that same eternal glory that we will all get there one day. If you're like me at all, sometimes you say, Lord, today, can you just bring the end of things today? Reminding them of their calling he wants to assert to them. He lays out for them a sequence of four events that no doubt in his life were very familiar. There's, there's absolutely no doubt that in the life of Peter throughout this uh, growing and maturing uh, first uh, as a friend of Jesus and as a disciple of Jesus failing and, and uh, missing the mark time after time again until restored on the Sea of Galilee when asked, G Peter, do you love me? Three times. And, and Peter finally, you know, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. And that calling again comes to him to not only just be a friend and a disciple, but now I'm sending you out. Apostolos, one who is sent. And so no doubt, as he, we, we find him early on in the book of Acts, as the church is birthed, chapter 1, chapter 2, and Peter ignited in that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But that no doubt, as he traveled through life now, these Four events took place in his life. And so now he wants to pass these events to his readers and by the Holy Spirit to us. In which he says, after you have suffered a while, he says, you know, may the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory, after you have suffered a while, do these four things. And so let's examine them together this morning. The first is a, a word which we read as perfect. The word is also translated perfect in the King James Version of the Bible, but this is where a, a simple little um, Bible dictionary or a Greek lexicon will help uh, because the word, though translated in English to perfect, actually means to complete. And there's a huge difference in our vernacular about the thought process of those two words. I mean, we hear the word perfect or perfect 
and we think without error, without fault, without uh, anything wrong, it's perfect. And as each Christian throughout thousands of years of history would have to agree, never are we without fault, without error, without missing the mark. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are reminded in the book of Romans. And so God in in no way has ever said to you or to me that I want you to be perfect. No, he's saying, I want you to be complete. And Peter writing to every Christian then and by the Holy Spirit now, this morning, he's saying, may the God of all grace make you complete. After you've suffered a while. Now there is something interesting too about some of the tools that are available for Bible study and Bible reading, one of which is a Greek lexicon, which gives, uh, I, I don't know Greek, I wouldn't even, I tried it once during my first semester in school ministry, and uh, Austin is much more <clears throat> versed in Greek. But this is where a book comes in handy, because <clears throat> in the lexicon, we're told about Uh, some grammatical things about each word and each phrase. Now, here's what's important about these four events, is that the grammatical mood in the Greek language is very important because the mood here of the language itself states that Peter's writing a hope or a wish. May the God of all grace, I hope, I wish, make you complete. In other words, beloved, he's writing and saying, I don't have any control over what you're going to do with your pain and suffering. Peter is saying to the reader, I have no ability to to." control or or have any say-so in what you're going to do with the reality of evil in the world. I have no way of helping you make a choice whether you are going to be bitter or better by reason of that which you go through. I hope you will be complete. I wish you will be complete. The God of all grace can make you complete. But as I pass this to you, I can only do that as a hope and as a wish. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians 4.17, put it this way, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In other words, what suffering, hardship, and difficulty in our life is intended to do is to yield to us a a 
resolve that we will look at the eternal and not the temporal. That we will adjust where our eyes are looking. Peter in this same letter way back in the first chapter when we were in it, verses 6 and 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter's saying, I have no control over how you're going to handle it. I have no control over your choice. But I hope and I wish that you will see the God of all grace can make you complete. And I would say that same thing this morning to each of you. I have no control over how you will handle hardship, pain, suffering. But I hope and I wish for you that the God of all grace who can make you complete will Make you complete because it's your choice to allow him to make you complete. Now what's interesting about these four events to me is that each one of them is in the same mood. It's a, I can't even repeat the phrase for you right now. If I had the book in front of me, I could. But each one of these words is in this same Greek mood, which means it's a hope and a wish that Peter has, but he really has no control over how uh, a Christian man, woman, or young person will deal with and choose what they do with suffering, hardship, pain, and the reality of evil in our world. The second one, which certainly is beautiful, comes to us in the word establish. Right there still in verse uh, 10. The King James Version of the Bible says establish, not establish. But the definition is important. Uh, The definition about establish is, quote, to set fast to turn resolutely in a certain direction. Isn't that powerful? So Peter is saying to his reading audience that I really hope and wish that I know the God of all graces is capable, but my hope and my wish for you is that you will allow him to turn you in a certain direction by reason of what you're going through. I'm going through this. What do I do with this? It's intended to turn the Christian into a, to resolutely, to resolve, to turn in a certain direction. Which direction? Jesus. To turn to Jesus. How often our society here in the Western world turns to many things during hardship, 
pain and suffering. Not that any one of those things in of themselves is necessarily bad or, or wrong, but the intent is clear in the passage is, is that the intent of the God of all grace is to have his child that suffers a while, that after that, that suffering, that pain, that reality of evil in the world is used in their life to cause them to resolutely turn into the direction of our resurrected Savior. Isn't that beautiful? That to me is like, wow. Okay, it opens it up for me. It, it begins to help me to understand hardship, pain, and difficulty in, in my life. I hope it helps you in your life. But again, Peter says, but I can't choose for you. I can only hope and wish for you that the God of all grace who is capable, that you will choose to allow him to turn you into the certain direction that he wants to turn you. To complete you. To establish you. Notice what this third one is. Is to strengthen you. Now, I found it interesting also that there wasn't much of a definition for this word. Uh, Vigor was there. Spoke really of bodily vigor. And so you, you come to this sort of cliche, uh, forgive me, it's a terrible illustration, but no pain, no gain, right? We all know that one. But you can apply it to Christian maturity. I think there's a honeymoon period for the person who comes to the Lord. I mean... When you first come to the Lord and, and it's a genuine work of this Holy Spirit and you've, some of you may remember your first time, some of you may not, but there's this bubble in which God places you and just kind of carries you through until at some point he says, okay, I need you to grow. And he places his word in front of your heart and he begins to open it up to you and me so that we can uh, begin to understand who he is more deeply. And as Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so our desire to know God and to see who God is and to see God's application in his work in our life is, is taken care of as we read through the Gospels and see the life and the ministry of Jesus himself. But as we grow, there's a need for strength along the way. This word here, strengthen, if you're taking note, is only used here in the entire New Testament. And though the rendering of the definition means vigor and uh, implies bodily vigor, we know that Peter is talking about spiritual strength. And just like the body needs to be worked out in order to be strengthened, 
so must our faith be worked out in order to be strengthened. Lately, I've been encouraged by going up to Mark Twain Hospital, and I, I got plugged into what was called cardiac rehab. And maybe I've shared this before. If I have, and it's an old story, you forgive me. I'm getting old, and I can't remember what I've shared. So, um, But what they do up there is they tag you, and you have a Bluetooth monitor, and they're watching your heart and, and rate and everything on a screen while you work out. And so I started at a half hour, and I went to 40, then 50 minutes, and now I'm at an hour. And I do a half hour on a bike, and I do a half hour on a treadmill. And the idea is, is that when you come in, they take your blood pressure and your heart rate. And because they're a state facility, you're only allowed, well, you're only asked, encouraged, slash, commanded, to only raise your heart rate up 30 degrees more than your, uh, your beginning rate. So if you, I, this may sound low to you, but I mean, I come in and my heart rate's down at 50. Since surgery, I'm on blood pressure medicine and stuff that lowers your heart rate. So I come in and I'm at 50, which means I can only, I'm only supposed to get my heart rate up to 80. And that's hard to do sometimes when you're under the medication. So I push, I push, I push, and next thing I know, there's some sweat coming, and I'm pushing, I'm pushing, there's more sweat, and I'm getting tired, and like, okay, this is a real workout. What's my heart rate? Oh, it's only 73. <laughs> it's like, but my, my body is working out. My heart is getting stronger. And in that same way, pain, suffering, Hardship, which I'm not sure where we're at in the U.S. of A, as you and I sit in this room, because we all have our own personal understanding of what pain, suffering, and hardship is. But whatever it is in your life, to whatever degree, to whatever category it comes through your front door, it's intended to strengthen you spiritually. And the God of all grace We'll do that. But Peter says, but I have no control. You have a choice to make of what you will do with it. To perfect or complete you, to establish you and point you in a certain direction, to strengthen you spiritually. And this fourth one uh, really opens up a little bit I thought it was uh, quite beautiful. He uses the word settle. And so Peter again is saying, I, I hope and I wish that the suffering, the pain, and the hardship, and the reality of evil in this world that you are experiencing will settle you. Guess what the definition of that word is? If you're looking or listening or taking note, I thought it was really beautiful because it, 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 it opens up a horizon for me, perhaps it will for you as well, quote, to lay a basis for or the groundwork for how you are to go forward in Christ. Let me restate that, that Suffering and pain and hardship and the reality of evil 
the God of all grace, and Peter hopes that the Christian will make a choice to allow those things to lay a basis for and be a groundwork for how the Christian will go forward in Christ. Whoa. But guess what about this word? You see, this word is found in multiple places in the New Testament. And some of those places should speak to us this morning. It's uh, where here it is translated settle. In other places in the New Testament, it is translated foundation. You remember when Jesus was speaking uh, to the crowd and to his disciples in Luke 6, 47 to 49, he said, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, two prerequisites, listening and doing. And that's the simplicity of, of the Christian life, really. It's not hard. Well, it's not hard to understand. The simplicity of the Christian life is listening for what the Lord is saying and then doing what he is saying. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. Foundation, same world as settled. Same word as settled. And when the flood arose and the streams beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without foundation. Same word, settled. Against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. How great was that fall? And it comes to us again this morning over and over and should be reminded to us each and every time we, we open this precious word of God. Am I listening and am I doing? Perhaps the Holy Spirit would be asking you that question this morning. Another place we find the word is in Jesus speaking to uh, his disciples. Luke 14, 27 through 30, he said, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's a mouthful right there. But he goes on to say, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the, what? Foundation, and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man begin to build, was not, but was not able to finish it to be settled, to, to lay a basis, to lay a groundwork for how the Christian is to move forward in Christ. 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, same word, settled, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, 
but also of wood and clay, and some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, dishonor, he will be like a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Beloved, this is what crisis, hardship, pain, difficulty is intended to do in our life is make us useful for the master's work. There'll be a sign-up out in the foyer for everyone who wants to sign up for pain, suffering, hardship, and a little tongue-in-cheek there. Because when we come to Christ, and as we walk with Christ, we don't necessarily desire to sign up for being conformed into his image. But that's what God wants to do in each of our lives. That you may be conformed. Paul wrote in Romans 12, Beloved, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of service, that you may be conformed to his image. To complete you, to establish you, to strengthen you, to settle you. As Peter says in verse 11, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. And then Peter begins some personal salutations and greetings. Uh, in verse 12, he tells his reading audience that it is by Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly. In other words, Silvanus was dictating uh, the letter. Peter didn't put his own hand to it. Silvanus was the scribe, the writer. And this Silvanus, of course, is the same as we know him as Silas in the New Testament, book of Acts and forward, very active in the uh, early church, a leader in the early church. And Peter reminding his uh, audience that it is the true grace of God in which you stand. We stand only because of grace, not because of merit. We stand only because of grace, not because of works. We stand only because of grace, not because of favor or uh, intelligence. We stand only by the grace of God. He closes the letter here in verse 13. He says, she who is in Babylon, uh, elect together with you, greets you um, as and so does Mark, my son. A couple of notes there. The she uh, is no doubt uh, the body of Christ. Uh, the church is always referred to in the feminine uh, vernacular. And so, as he says in Babylon, uh, the actual city of Babylon, by the time of this writing, was an extremely insignificant place. Once, yes, a major ruling power uh, in that part of the world. But by this time, Rome was in the driving seat. 
And so Babylon, the city itself, was insignificant. But Rome, Rome was very significant and very much like a Babylon of its day. And so the body of Christ in Rome, uh, elect together with you, greets you. And so does Mark, my son. This would be none other than John Mark, of course, uh, very familiar with his work throughout the New Testament. And then he uh, finalizes his letter in verse 14 with greet one another with a, a kiss of love or kiss of charity in the King James Version. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. As we close this morning, I exhort and encourage us to take this admonition from Peter. As he wrote to them, let the Lord write it to you. That what the God of all grace wants to do in my life and in your life is to complete us Establish us, strengthen us, and settle. And for that, we say to him, be all the glory forever and ever. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, we thank you this morning for your servant, Peter, who was Simply that, a human being called from one vocation of life into the marvelous light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who decided on his own to follow you and became your lifelong learner, a disciple to wit, eventually, after much restoration, he was sent to be an apostle to the world at large and to be the author of this letter to us. I need these lessons, Lord. I'm sure there are some here this morning that need these lessons. Perhaps anyone watching at home that needs these lessons. And that you would take the time by your Holy Spirit to remind us of the intent of our God of all grace. It's an amazing thing. So we submit, Lord. Today, we raise our hand and say, I surrender. Have your way. Do what you want to do. For we ask it and Believe that you will, for we ask it in Jesus' name.